Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. I've got a very special guest today, someone who was on only a couple of months ago, uh, but for, for good reason. So Andy Donaldson, you've just completed the Ocean 7 in the quickest time ever and in the shortest amount of time ever, so within a year, and uh, doing the entire seven swims in 63 hours total, which was about an hour 35 quicker than the uh, previous record before that. So firstly, congratulations and and well done. Just a massive achievement. And I can't wait to get in into some of the details on the last one that you had because it looked so <laughs> difficult. And and yeah, just uh, how are you after after such a massive 12 months? Really? Well, firstly, thank you. Thank you again, Brenton, for, for having me on here. It's a, it's a pleasure to chat. And uh, yeah. Gosh, it's, it's it's just been such a whirlwind. I mean, obviously, I'm absolutely delighted at how it all came together and, and how together as a team we, we were able to pull off this, well, impossible mission. But uh, yeah, just just delighted. Still pretty tired from it all. Um, it, it was such a big year. But uh, yeah, feeling feeling really glad and you know, glad to still have all my, my limbs and, and to be in one piece still. <laughs> well, I think before, last time we spoke, I think you had the three maybe the three or four swims to go i can't remember exactly but it seemed like so you, you had gibraltar and then catalina were the the fifth and sixth swims they looked like they were fairly comfortable in the grand scheme of things is that right yeah they they were you know they were still challenging in the in their own ways but more or less went to went to plan which was good the other two swims so i think we we spoke just after the cook straight in, in New Zealand, and obviously we were coming off a real big high, high there, breaking breaking the world record. So you know, we went into into the Molokai Channel swim over in Hawaii with you know really buoyed by that recent success and and with a, a fair bit of momentum. And goodness, did did nature show up and, and <laughs> have have different plans for us out there? It was that was a real big swim, and then obviously Suguru at the end was just absolutely relentless too. And so Molokai, would you put that up there as as, as one of the hardest swims you you did? Because is that is that the longest? It's yeah, forty three k's, isn't it? So it's the longest longest swim and longest time wise as well, fifteen and a half hours. Talk me talk me through through that swim and what challenges got thrown your way. Well, it was it was very challenging. Even even before the swim, we derived from memory. I think on the Saturday and swum on the Sunday, so it was a very quick turnaround, flying in. Uh, the morning we arrived, we w- we met with the skipper, and and he he said, you know, Mike Twig Smith, great guy, just said, look, tomorrow's probably our best day, um, let's go for it. So, very quick turnaround. Usually, a lot of swimmers will fly across to Molokai Island and and meet up with the crew over there. We didn't really have time, and we thought it might be easier to just take the boat across. I hadn't really <laughs> thought that one through too well, and I got pretty seasick on the way over. And that's before you've even started this 43-kilometer swim, so didn't feel too great or flash going into it. But, you know, we, we set off the shores at Molokai around 7 p.m. The sun was going down. You're on this, you know, tropical island in the middle of the Pacific, and it was it was just quite surreal, you know, doing that. But little did we know what was to come. It, it turned into probably... The, the toughest swim alongside Suguru uh, out of the Ocean 7 in, hmm. in, in my own life. And was it the conditions that really started to ramp up as you were swimming or was it the currents? What was it there that made it so challenging? The big challenges with that is it's the swell. So if you think of where Hawaii is, it's just you know a couple of pin drops in the middle of the, the Pacific Ocean and you've got no real land masses to, to block these rolling conditions coming in from the Pacific. So you've got these huge waves that just, you know, lift you right up. And the, the swims through the night, which the, the reason they do that is to uh, try swim when the, the winds are a bit calmer and, and the conditions are ideally a bit calmer too. So that's, you know, that's quite a challenge itself. In that swim, the, the boat sits quite a little bit in front. So, you know, you can't really see your team and it can feel quite isolating out there. So it's just you and a kayaker. And yeah, I mean, you know, you can do all the preparation in the world for, for distance and for swimming at night, but it's the psychological 
challenges that are harder to prepare for. And in that one, you know, we were swimming into a pretty head-on, head-on and, and powerful current. And I was making a lot less ground than I'm, than I'm used to, you know, usually on, on a good day, I can hold sort of four and a half to five Ks an hour out there. Uh, we were covering as little, probably a bit closer to three Ks an hour because of the, the head-on currents. But at one stage, you know, it was right down at, at 1500 meters in, in the space of an hour, which is, you know, huh. taking four minutes to do a hundred meters. And it's so hard to hear that news. And when you've got such a big, long swim at hand, knowing that you could potentially be out there for another 10 hours, is quite, <laughs> it's quite brutal. And, and yeah, very little can prepare you for, for receiving that sort of news. Is the team keeping updated every hour with the distance that you've swum, what you've got to go? How's that normally work for you? And do you have a have you changed that approach over the last year or so with that more experience under your belt? Yeah, it's a great question, Brenton. So usually I get updates on distance every hour. We we started off, I think with the English Channel, it was every two hours, but I, I wanted to be a bit more equipped with that information, even if it was you know, not as, as rosy as as we'd like. With that swim, we were f- feeding every 15 minutes. Uh, the water temperatures were a bit warmer, I think around 25 degrees. So I was going to be sweating a lot more, losing a lot more liquids and fluids. I already take on quite a lot of feeds because I'm burning quite a lot of energy with my pace. So, But it was also an opportunity to catch up with the team and, and just to make sure that we were engaging quite frequently so that, again, it provided that mental reassurance that you weren't out there alone, that you didn't feel as isolated. The team were there, and and you know, we we'd be seeing each other quite quite a lot. So yeah, to find out we weren't covering as much distance, it, it was difficult. But you know, the the team kept me really encouraged and and supported throughout that. I don't think like 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 I usually say, you know, these these swims aren't a solo endeavor. They are only made possible by by an incredible collective and, and a team. And, and they got me through a lot of those toughest times. Mm. And swimming in the dark. So it's a, it's a long time to be in the dark, especially only having a kayaker next to you. Like that's eerie enough, right? Just being out between the Hawaiian islands, uh, what feels like probably almost by yourself. Is that, is that something that you had practiced a, a bit before, just, just night swimming or just something you had to get used to along the way? It was, it was something that I'd had experience of swimming at nighttime. So in, in the Cook Strait, we swam through the night in the Derwent River Big Swim. Again, it was another nighttime swim, but I hadn't experienced that level of isolation before where it was just you and a kayaker. I mean, if I looked up, I wouldn't have been able to see the boat. They they were completely blacked out. And they they do that because they don't want to attract in the sharks, which are, <laughs> you know, the the are attracted in by by the bright lights. So yeah, it, it was quite tough. And I think they they were cycling through paddlers every every two hours. And I remember that I remember particularly the second guy that went out, he didn't bring any lights or or sort of reflective gear. So I c- I couldn't see him. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I couldn't see him apart from like maybe a couple of tiny uh, glow sticks hanging off the side of his kayak. But I just saw this silhouette of a shape and I, I just remember feeling so lonely out there. And, and it was, it, it's, it's amazing how much of an impact that, that something as small as that can, can make uh, when you're out there in these, ma- um, in these massive channel swims. Yeah. It makes me think of someone who's like, whose ship has sunk and they're just stranded out in the middle of, middle of nowhere. He goes, man, how do you, how do you, how do you mentally get through that that's that's a real challenge so mm. um so you had the molokai swim and then the the gibraltar swim and then the catalina channel you said they were they pretty much went to went to plan which is which is great now because it was all in a pretty short space of time those last couple of swims wasn't it like those last three were almost you know within bang. a month of each other or something pretty much bang 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 so cook street was uh, march molokai was april straight gibraltar was may you know i was still pretty beaten up from from Molokai. I'd got hospitalized after the Molokai swim. We'd, we'd had a real rough finish to that, which I can speak to. And then there was a month-long break in June before Catalina and Suguru, which were both in July. So 
Yeah, this is you know it's it's just how it fell. That's that's how we'd organised it. We we really we we took the slots that we could get. We didn't you know we didn't want to. I I certainly made it my. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't coming in over the the top of anyone else. I didn't want to take other people's slots. It was always you know we'll take whatever we can get in order to to try do this in a year and if we can do it great but if not you know we we've tried our best and so that that's something that a lot of the organizers took into consideration and you know fortunately i have a bit of speed i have some flexibility with with the way that i've set up life and um how i can work remotely so it, it worked out very well and those swims fell in into those places and you know gosh it was tough Coming in, coming into those last two, especially just that accumulated fatigue, not just physically but mentally as well, certainly made it a challenge. Did anything surprise you yeah, when you look back at the at the last twelve months? Anything like you, you knew it was obviously going to be a, be hard and a lot of travel involved, a lot of organisation. But was it was there anything that really surprised you looking back? I think my mindset certainly shifted a lot. I think coming from a competitive background where there's a big emphasis on on results and in times. I, I admittedly think that I came into it, you know, quite focused on that and, and trying to break records and, and set these really fast times, which, you know, 12 months ago, that was, yeah, I was like, wow, I, I, I might be able to do this and, and I could do this. And it was a quick lesson. I think, you know, things like the English Channel and, and certainly Molokai, they were they were real quick reminders that you know there's a lot that goes on in, in a channel swim and what what really is a success you know take straight to Gibraltar for an example uh, as an example I, I gave that absolutely everything probably put together one of one of my best swims and finished about forty minutes off the record and you know there's there's an incredible woman who's in her seventies that only went five minutes slower you know so <laughs> you know there's it's it's a real it's a real leveler swimming out in in the open water and there's so many factors that are involved in in the success of a of a swim or in terms of a time you know obviously you've got the, the you have you have to have like almost the perfect conditions the right swells and currents low winds or or the right winds and so to to be able to go into swim and and give it your all. You know, I think that's that's where the mindset shift came, and and I knew that if I'd done that, and if that was good enough to to get across um, a channel, you know, I, I couldn't really ask for more, and and that certainly helped coming into Suguru after all the all the things that have been happening there with the the unsuccessful attempts and and people talking about the cross currents and that it was an unswimmable swim. That was the mindset I went in with. If if I could give give this my best, and if we're good, if that's good enough to get across, great. I can't I can't really ask for more. Let's jump into the Suguru swim. So I remember a week or two prior to you doing that swim, in some of the Facebook groups, there, there was a lot of talk and a bit of controversy around around that swim, where like it hadn't been a successful swim for quite a long time, and there was a bit of issue with like with boat captains like not taking people at dark and it was only between certain times and so there was a bit of bit of controversy around it and I, I didn't know what the situation was was for you and I didn't know the full full details of it because I'm not completely in, in that world but I'd love to get your take on for those listening like most people listening to this probably don't know what that was all about so could you explain a little bit about what what was going on and then what your mindset was going over there with this being your last swim and basically no one had made that swim for for a very long time. The Suguru Strait is it's a channel in Japan. It's between the islands of Honshu and Hokkaido. And it's one of the Ocean 7 swims. So the Ocean 7, just to take a bit of a step back, was a list of swims that, that Stephen Monotone has put together. And, you know, swims around the world, ever since it was conceptualized, have gone and, and, and tried to take on these swims and, and tried to complete the Ocean 7. So... For me, the way it landed, Suguru was the very last swim that I'd be attempting in, in the whole of my journey. And in the lead up to it, you know, like you'd mentioned, that there'd been quite a lot of, well, it was very public about 
what had been happening there and, and the lack of successful crossings. So I think it was a total of 13 people uh, that have tried it this season prior to myself. And um, I think nine of them were unsuccessful and, and four of them didn't get to get didn't get to get a start. So historically, there's really only been two associations there that have organized swims, a group called Ocean Navi and another group that was run by, by the skipper Ian, the organizer I ended up going with, a, a Japanese chap called Haruyuki Yeshi, the Suguru Strait Swimming Association. So most people had in the past gone with this Ocean Navi group and for whatever reason, things just seem to be a lot tougher this year. The, the Japanese had, Coast Guard had introduced a new rule, so I, I understand where swimmers could only go during the hours of daylight, so between 4 a.m. and finishing at 7 p.m. And when you think of the Suguru Strait, it's a very narrow channel. It's point to point, under 20 kilometers, and it's between the Sea of Japan and the Pacific Ocean, and there's a bit of an elevation difference, so it's almost like a downhill slope. So usually the current's flowing from west to east, and it's quite powerful, reaching up to sort of speeds of of 10 kilometers an hour. So, you know, the, the best swimmers in the world are only really holding 5Ks an hour, so it's, you know, it's to, to paint a picture, it's like trying to swim across a raging river. But at times... It, it really dies down to maybe about one or two k's an hour, so it can be done. And I think with this introduction of this this rule, a lot of the best times to swim when the currents were at their weakest was at night time, but it, it wasn't possible to go. So a lot of people weren't getting across. Hmm. There was a lot of upset swimmers, particularly in how it, the the swims were being conducted over there and, and organized. You know, I, I haven't had too much to deal with Ocean Navi. I, I tried to organize a swim with them. They didn't really get back to me, so which forced me to go look at other options and, and eventually, you know, work with, with Mr. Ishii. But, so I, I, I don't know how they operate. I've seen what I've seen online. So, I, I, you know, I've, I'm not going to comment on it, but I know there was a lot of unhappy swimmers and it got to a stage where there was so much um, happening that... that the World Open Water Swimming Association stepped in and started investigating the channel and, and the conduct of swims that had happened this season. And when that was all kicking off, you know, it, it was it was very difficult for me uh, and my team being out there in Japan and, and seeing this and reading about what had been happening to other swimmers. Obviously, you know, it's not good for the sport when when something's you know when people are coming away with such bad experiences, you know. And I was just getting bombarded with messages like, "Oh, have you read this? Have you seen this?" People are saying it's it's it can't be swum. <laughs> it's uh, unswimmable. People are questioning how you organised your swim. How did you get in touch with this person? How did you do this? And it was it was it was very. It was so difficult. Swimming a channel is one thing and, and it comes with its challenges, but to see people talking about you and, you know, jump into these conclusions or assumptions without actually knowing who you are and, and what you've done, I did. I find that really tough. So probably the, it was, it was probably the toughest thing I've ever gone through uh, in terms of, you know, all of that. Obviously, this was the last swim of the, of my Ocean 7 journey and, and my pursuit to try to do this all within the space of a year. So there was a lot riding on it and I knew a lot of people would be watching us in, out there and, and keen to see how we'd go facing these challenges. And yeah, <laughs> I, I felt, I certainly felt the weight of it before, before I even started. Yeah. I can only imagine. And especially in a lot of sports and Open, open water swimming is no, no different. You are going to get opinions on, on either side and people who, as you said, don't know you, people who've got no idea what the background is of you organising your swim and people are very happy, uh, will very quickly make accusations and, uh, yeah, and, and say things that there's just no, no truth to it. And 
I mean, I had an Olympian, Brent Hayden, on the podcast just recently, and he like he was even just saying just some of the comments on his like videos that he puts out. Like he finds it's hard to deal with because people with no with no right basically saying like oh you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. It's like hang on, he's he's an Olympic medalist and he's earned the right to you know teach teach this stuff. So it's just when you put yourself out there doing something like you've you've done, you're going <clears> you're going to cop criticism no matter what you do and. You just you can't avoid it, and there was, and like even just listening to you speak, there's no, there's no ego in in this for you. You know, you're not you're not out there doing this for your for yourself. It's, it's a very selfless thing that you that you're doing. So yeah, it just it comes with the territory when you you put yourself out there with the swim. So I was following the Instagram stories that were being updated pretty regularly, and I just thought. Man, if anyone's going to make it, it's going to be you. But this looks like such a bloody challenge with with the, with the currents and what you went through. So, could you share just basically what what happened through that swim, how hard it was, and and everything? Because man, it just I, I was I was shocked that you that you made it really after after seeing how tough these these currents were. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we we knew that we were we had this mammoth task ahead of us and. You know, fortunately, in the lead up to it, I kind of just went into protective mode. I, I stayed offline, and together with my team, you know, we had people from from all around the world, you know, offering help and, and trying to do their research on on the channel and, and making suggestions on when we should go, where we should lead from, and you know, yes, I, I was the person in the water, but you know, I just wanted to highlight that that. It wasn't just me, you know. There was all these people contributing to the success of that swim and, and and putting their hand up to help, and you know that's that was ultimately what what made it possible out there. So we we swum on I think the twenty seventh of oh, I've got my date I might have my dates wrong, but I think it was the twenty seventh of July. And fortunately for us, they were willing to try different things from from the other group. Uh, so we were trying to set off from a little bit further up the Cape, shortening the distance, but we knew that swimming across this really powerful cross current, we, we weren't going to be able to go from A to B, like directly from point to point. We knew at some point we'd have to go with the current and, and almost do a big S-bend. So like you see with the English Channel, it's never, well, it's, it's, it's very often not a straight line going from, from one side to the other. So when we set off, we, we set off the, the Cape, Cape Tappy, and we were trying to go out wide to give ourselves the best opportunity to, I, I'd kind of need a picture to, <laughs> to describe this on a map. We were trying to go out wide so that we could get north far enough before getting swept to the east because if we got swept east too quickly we'd just hit the cape again or get sucked back in because there's all these powerful eddies and and localized currents but that was really brutal off the beginning the swell was coming back bouncing back off the main off the mainland and into the current so it was just creating this like tumultuous surface chop and i was just getting thrown about you know, up and down, side to side. It really felt like being in a washing machine and that within the first minute, uh, 30 minutes, you know, I was I was already projectile vomiting. It was, it was and quite violently. And I, I just, you know, I, I was just thinking to myself, like, geez, what, maybe these guys are right. You know, maybe this is just unswimmable. Like, I don't think I can... I can survive this that much longer. I was so, I felt so nauseous and, and dizzy and it was very difficult to, to find a rhythm or to, to maintain your stroke because every time your arm went over, the, the wave would just smash into you and, and your timing would go off and um, that made it very difficult. And then, like I said, with Molokai, you know, you can do all the training in the world for the distance and, and for the cold or swimming at nighttime, but that, it's so hard to prepare for and, and we had to be incredibly adaptive uh, when we were out there. So we're swimming along and, and we're starting to, to make a bit of progress, but I think we were covering maybe about two and a half to three kilometers an hour. So again, probably about half of, of what I'm used to, to covering. And 
Jay, Jay Prashal, my, my, my key supporter on, on the boats. He's been, you know, to six of the seven ocean seven swims out of his own back. You know, he was, he was communicating messages to me, just, you know, providing updates. They, they weren't necessarily rosy or, or, or positive, but, you know, I had these guys on the boat with me and, uh, you know, my mother was there, my, my uncle Handy. And, you know, even though it's really tough going out there, seeing them up there on the boat, it, it's funny, it provides a, a level of comfort and, and reassurance that you're going through this challenge and you're not doing it alone. And that certainly helped. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $249 US dollars. They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one-year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US dollars a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the Form Goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads-up display where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap, I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. Were you able to keep anything down after that? Like you said you were vomiting after the first 30 minutes. Yeah, how did you feed throughout that time? Did you continue to vomit and, and have that, that seasickness the whole way through? I, so I vomited, I think, two or three times within the first two hours. I, and they were quite sizable vomits, but I felt... <laughs> I felt better after each one, so I skipped a couple of feeds, stopped drinking a certain drink that was, I think, not helping the situation. Jay picked up on it very quickly, which was good, and he just made sure not to cycle that one in uh, because we use it a bunch of different things. But yeah, I did. I, I was made, able to, to handle it, and the more calm it became. So I think it took about six hours, really, until the water really died down from that, you know, really turbulent surface chop that it was. And then that's when we started going with the current and across the channel uh, and, and going along with the current over east. So there was a little period of respite there. That was, that was quite good. We were making decent, decent distance, but we knew at some point we'd have to almost break out of the current again to, to get across to Hokkaido and, and that, again, was, was a really challenging time. Jay, you know, he communicated to me that, right, we're going to have to really work hard over these next four kilometers uh, to break through another powerful eddy. And so, you know, there's not much you can do. You just have to sort of mentally prepare and, and sit in for the, ho- the long haul. And what made it tougher was that we knew we had this time limit to, to get across this, this Japanese Coast Guard set limit of, of getting across to 7 p- by 7 p.m. before, before nightfall. goal to, to try and break the world record for the cumulative time of the Ocean 7, which was 64 hours and 30 minutes, held by uh, an incredible swimmer, Attila Minyoki. And that also worked out to be 14 hours. 
So everything was just kind of lining up like it was, and you, you couldn't make this stuff up. It was just, it was just almost meant to be, and we really had to press hard. There were some tough moments in there. Jay, <laughs> I remember, I think we might have been three kilometers off, and Jay said, "You know, there's a good chance you might get sucked back out into the channel here because." because of what the the localized eddies are doing but everyone stayed so calm in that moment which i think it, it really does help you can just sense it when people are panicking and sense when when there's worry and it was the exact opposite out there there was a lot of people on the boat they were all smiling they were all relaying messages that people were sending in from around the world messages from family from friends even Attila Mignocchi, the, the guy who held the record, sent through such a lovely message of encouragement. And, you know, it, it makes such a difference. It, it makes a huge difference out there. And, you know, I am I'm, I'm super grateful for, for all of that encouragement and support. It really helped in those toughest moments. And, you know, seeing Ishii there and, and Mitsushimu, they were so positive through all of the adversity that it just you know their their hope sort of spread and, and rubbed off on you and you know fortunately we did we got across to the other side uh, and we really needed <laughs> almost all of that time that we had and um, that we had available to us we, we made it across at 602 p.m so less than you know less than an hour to spare it, it was really <laughs> really down to the wire you, you, like you could make a you could make a movie out of it you know you've got you've got an hour to an hour to spare. You've only got you know an hour and a bit up your sleeve to break the cumulative time. It's like it really comes down to that that point. And something that's been such an epic journey for you over the the last twelve months for it all to come to a head and for you to be pushed to your absolute mm-hmm. limit and to have just the the currents working against you. Like it's uh, it, it's it's such a such a real a real test. It's like how bad do you do you really want this? How how much have you have you worked for it? it? Was what was that feeling like when you touched when you hit land? Oh man, it was it was just this um, huge sense of of relief. I mean, we we finished on this. It was it was like the seawall with with all these huge concrete three pronged bollards. So I had to kind of it probably wasn't the, the safest of places to finish, but I had to kind of time it and with the waves and, and land on this thing. But when I got on there and you know scurried up to the top, it was it was probably the best rock I've ever seen in my life. I was, I was so <laughs> so absolutely exhausted, you know, physically, mentally, but you know just so proud of the team and, and how everyone had come together to make this thing possible, not just in Suguru, but the, the whole challenge of this last 12 months. So yeah, bursting with pride. And um, although I didn't want to celebrate at the time because I felt like death, I was, you know, <laughs> absolutely over the moon. Is it a sense of relief or accomplishment, combination of both? What is it? What's it? What is that feeling? It's, it's a sense of, I think definitely a bit of both. I mean, you know, when you when you're quite open with your your goals, like you mentioned before, there's there's room for for people to criticize or to scrutinize and, and you're putting yourself out there, really exposing yourself and making yourself quite vulnerable. So, you know, for it to come together like it did, obviously there was relief there, but the reason I had been so open about what I planned to do and what I hoped to try and achieve was to, to try bring more attention to, you know, the Ocean 7 to, to promote the sport and hopefully create more awareness about the reasons why we're doing it, which was, you know, one of the big ones was to, to raise money for mental health, health and, and to share, you know, powerful messages around hope, courage, the importance of teamwork. And, yeah, I, I think we... we, we over the last 12 months, we have been able to do that. And one thing I will say about this, when when you're being open about your goals is, yes, you might feel quite nervous and people might say that, it, that, that things can't be done. But on the flip side, you'll get people that will stick their hand up and, and offer their support. And I think, you know, that's that's really worthwhile doing it because, you know, these challenges... 
things like the Ocean Seven, even doing any of these marathon swims, you know, they're not something that you can do alone. So, yeah. Mm. Do you feel like that's uh, having that bigger picture, that bigger reason behind it helped get you through those tough times in the swim? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think when, when you're really in your toughest moments, having a good reason why makes all the difference. You know, why are you putting yourself through this pain? Why, why are you going to push through this? You know, for me, you know, I, I certainly I certainly fought back to the, the mental health aspect of things and, and trying to bring awareness to a cause that's really important from you know, for everyone and, and is close to my heart, having having suffered from depression in the past before and having, you know, my my childhood hero, my grandfather being really impacted by it as well. But also I think, you know, I'm someone that, that left their swimming career feeling quite unfulfilled with the, the things that I'd done when I when I retired in twenty sixteen. I didn't feel like I'd realized my potential. And for a number of years I, I had felt a lot of guilt and 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 shame feeling that I'd let people down that had believed in me and invested time in me through through my childhood and through my, my competitive years, my my coaches. Um, you know, my family and friends, people that, you know, my mom and dad who would drive me to training in the mornings at four in the morning, scraping ice off the car, you know. So in a way, this was also to to hopefully try repay their faith. And I wanted to do it for them too. So, you know, had all these motivators to, to come into this and you know, if if you've given it your best, that was my view. If I'd if I'd given it my best, it didn't really matter what the outcome was. I, I knew they'd be proud. How do you feel now, looking back at that, and you're you know, a couple of years older now since you stopped your competitive swimming career? How's your feeling around not achieving what you wanted with your competitive swimming career, and now you've you've achieved this? Do you do you look back and and think, well, like those those people that put their time and effort into me. Do you feel like they, they were disappointed you didn't achieve those goals or is it just something that you that you felt because you'd put in so much work and hadn't quite got there? It's an interesting one. I mean, I think if I was to ask my parents or my coaches, I, I don't think they would have ever felt, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think they would have been disappointed, but, you know, in my head I'd built it up that, that I had let them down, you know. And yeah, I think, you know, this, this last year has been a real good opportunity for myself to put that to bed and to move on. And, you know, if maybe if I had had more successes in, in my pool career, things would be a lot different and I wouldn't have done what I've done now. So, mm. you know, we can't change the past and I'm, I'm grateful for everything that's it's happened to this point because it's made me who I am and it led me to do the things that I've done. So yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't change it. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite often like that, isn't it? Where you wear a setback or a, you know, a failure It just at the time, it's really hard to take and you look at it and you go like, I'm just like, I'm really annoyed. This is, this has happened, but then you give it 12 months, 24 months. You can see there's a reason behind it. You can, you can move past it and it can lead you to greater things. And, and looking at what you've achieved, that, that I think is so much more difficult than making a, a national team and, you know, competing for your country. Not that that's easy, mm. not at all. And I've got a lot of respect for those people that, that do, do achieve that. But what you've gone through, it's like, man, that's, that to me is two, three times harder uh, than you know, make, making a national team and just there physically and mentally that that sort of challenge you know i don't think there's a whole lot of people who who could push themselves that far so yeah i think i think your record will will stand for a, a very long time 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 will only tell and, and whether it's whether it's gone next next year or in in 30 years time that, that doesn't really matter the fact that you've that you've done what you've done and i think being able to just persist and and achieve it uh, is uh, is in, is incredible, and as you said, I think a large part of that, looking from the outside, it's it's because you had a very deep uh, drive and motivation that wasn't just about 
you. There's no there's no ego involved. It's it's really doing it for for a greater cause and for for other people. And it's like swimming really oh, yeah. in, you know, in in competitive swimming. You know, it's like it's people will will do PBs all day in relays because they want to they don't mm. want to let other people down. And it seems like there's a there's a bit of that kind of spirit in in your swims. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. 100%. And uh, yeah, I think for me, you know, the biggest, the biggest takeaways, like each of these swims is, is, is almost taught this, its own unique lesson. You know, the, the Hawaii swim has, you know, for example, taught the importance of having incredible support around you and having a good reason why to push through the adversity and that adversity is needed for growth. Your lowest lows can also be your highest highs. You know, I went into went into the Cook Strait with people telling me that we couldn't swim in a spring tide. And, you know, that was a great example of that it's important to get people's opinions, but, you know, do your homework and, and come to your own conclusion and don't let other people set your parameters for you. Or English Channel, first time I'd ever had to to wait before a swim. You know, it's not like traditional swimming when we know down to the exact minute when we're going to be racing. There we were there for you know, seven days before and we could have been swimming with, you know, four hours notice. And so to, you know, the lesson there to to focus on the things that are within your control and to be ready. Like it's just incredible all these sort of messages from from marathon swimming and the like how transferable they are to to your own life. You know, going through something like Suguru, yes it was horrendous at the time but that's an experience i'll be able to draw from for the rest of my days so you know for me <laughs> yeah that's been an incredible part and and the friendships and, and the connections made through this last year you know if anything like you say records records and and stuff someone will beat them at some point in the future but those experiences you know they're they're things that that no one will ever be able to take away so mm, absolutely now, when you, you get home and you go back to normal life and you don't have this massive challenge ahead of you and quite often get it with you know, when people achieve their dreams of going to the, the Olympics, there's often this little bit of a, like a down period. How's that been for you and, and have you set your sights on anything else just to give you something to work towards? Yeah, I, it's, it's very true. I mean, I think, I think there's a huge come down or a, a crash. People experience it after working so long and, and so hard towards a goal. I think it's, you know, very natural for it to happen. And, you know, I've had a few people reach out to ask about it and, and to just, you know, politely remind me that it's coming. And I've had a bit of time off since, since Suguru. So Suguru was just over three and a half weeks ago. I actually, I feel okay. I feel okay. I mean, I think I was ready to to come to the end of that that chapter and that journey. And, you know, I haven't really, I mean, it still doesn't quite feel real. It hasn't fully sunk in, uh, <laughs> which is quite funny. I haven't had too much of a crash, to be honest, which, you know, I am ready for it when, when it does happen. But I think also I'm I'm really excited about what, what lies ahead and, and, you know, opportunities with, with to continue a doing swimming um, to support worthwhile causes, B the, the things that we have going on behind the scenes in terms of mental health, we're, we're speaking with a number of charities um, about bringing them to, uh, together to collaborate, to create more, what's the word I'm looking for? Not holistic, but oh, it might be holistic. Like yeah, to, to work together, create synergies and, and make sure that the, the services provided are cover all bases. And that's something that we've been working really hard over the last 12 months on. And I'm excited to, to continue to help with however I can. I feel there's a real opportunity there and, and to sh- continue sharing some of the messages learned from, from this channel, from this challenge. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not crashing because I'm just so excited about what's, what's still to come. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, it's. I think if you keep yourself moving, keep yourself busy enough as well, you you can avoid a lot of that that come down. You know, it's like a a plane; it needs that it needs that speed to fly. And as soon as you you stop, then it 
then it comes down. So I think you just got to keep, got to keep, keep moving. You can't just sit on the couch for for a month afterwards and just relish in your achievements. Yeah, you need to, <laughs> need to, uh, yeah, keep keep doing things. And I mean, you've got you've, you've got your, your work there and the and the business. And I saw your return to the pool as well this week. How's the body? How's the body feel <laughs> first session back? <laughs> it was it was, a, it was a bit brutal. We, went, we didn't even swim that far, and I, I feel pretty, pretty horrible. But no, I think it's it's been important to take some time off and, and to have some rest. You know, not just from a physical point of view, but mentally too. You know, we 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 talk about marathon swimming being twenty percent physical, eighty percent mental, and you know, to have some downtime for the mental, to allow yourself to mentally recover and recharge. You know, I don't think, I don't think we talk about that enough. So yeah, these last couple of weeks, my my mother's been over from Scotland, been spending a bit of time with her. My my sister who lives here in Perth as well, and and she's got a young family, so that's been really nice. And you know, it's just allowed me some time to recharge and come back to the pool and, and come back to these other endeavors with with more gusto and, and energy so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and in terms of the the media after you you finish what's that been like because it's quite it's a bit of a fringe sport open water so you know it's not it's not afl it's not it's not nfl but it's still from from what i saw there was quite a bit of media attention around it so like how, how much of it was it was there interest from from overseas what sort of what sort of commitments have you had there in terms of yeah after the right after the event so it has it's, it's certainly picked up a lot of traction along the way and you're right you know we're not we're not afl we're not soccer we're open water swimmers but i think when there are things there are things that that transcend the the world of of sport and, and can really connect with people and, you know, whether it's been my swim or, or other people that they go on and, and push themselves be outside their comfort zone and in, in support of something bigger than themselves. You know, I think that will always resonate with people. So, yeah, these last couple of weeks in, in speaking to the BBC, they put up an article and it's a bit wild, like seeing your face beside the likes of Greta Thunberg or, Vladimir putting on, on the BBC homepage. I mean, I'm just I'm just this kid from the west coast of Scotland, a, a sleepy fishing village, you know. So it's it just doesn't add up. But that's been surreal. ESPN, I, I, you know, a few Australian outlets. So you know, for me to to get the word out there about the sport, but I think to to try and share these positive messages and and encourage people into swimming. I got back into swimming in 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic. After a number of years out of the water, I, I didn't have any plans to do crazy channel swims. For me, it was it was about getting in into the water, having this incredible sport that could keep me fit and healthy. It was good for my mental well-being, and and provided me with access to community. And you know, I'd love to. To, to get the word out there or to do my part to, to share those messages that it's a sport for everyone and, and everyone can access these benefits and and it might have a, a good positive impact on your life if you do. So, yeah, I'd encourage people to give it a try. Brilliant. Well, Andy, thanks for, for being on the podcast and, yeah, willing to jump on here a second time after a, a successful seven swims. It's been amazing watching you do what you've done and I'm excited to see what, what lies ahead for you, whether it's just as crazy as what you've done or, you know, just dialed down a little bit because <laughs> I don't know how much, how much more wild you can, you can go. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, you know, doing the world's seven toughest channels in the space of a year, might not, might not guess, <laughs> well, might be a scratch, scratching our heads to, to think of something that can top that. But uh, no, I'd, I'd love to continue doing swims that can support worthwhile causes. Um, I think for me, an area that, that captures my interest is is the the expedition swims and and swimming in uncharted waters or something that no one's ever done before. So these swims they they might take you know be over the course of a number of days. I'm already speaking with a few parties there about some exciting opportunities that I think we'll try to fill them and yeah really really focus on on some important causes and 
to the benefits of the sport. So yeah, watch watch the space. That's that's probably what's what's next for me. Is is this like swimming with a like a, a rucksack and like you, by yourself, or is this going to be supported? These these types of swims. Can you go into a bit more detail with them? They they'd be supported. So I think they come in in different forms. You know, there's there's been some you know great swimmers out there that have done incredible things. Guys like Lewis Pugh. He's currently swimming down the entire length of the Hudson River over in in America to raise awareness around yeah around the environment he's a big advocate for oceans conservation and you know things like that so yeah that's that's something that interests me and they would be supported they'd, they'd be over the course of a number of days it's not about swimming it as fast as possible uh which you know i think for me is <laughs> is is nice to give the body a little bit of of respite um but we'll see what happens. Like there's still some some channel swims out there, and some swims like uh, the Manhattan Island swim, and you know Loch Ness back in Scotland that I'd love to have a crack at some records for. Mm. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Plenty of there's you know there's no shortage of swims in the world. So uh, if anyone listening has some ideas, you know, feel free to shoot them through. You know, we're we're open to everything at the moment. Fantastic. Well, we'll put all the links to your to your socials, to donating as well to the Black Dog Institute too. And I see your 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 following is growing massively in the last like what day, month or so that that you've completed the swims. Like it's just just taken off, which is which is really cool too. Which gives you that bigger platform to create that awareness hmm. around these things as well. It was the I think it was the one of the feeds videos kind of went viral. So. Had like two million views or something, didn't it? Because <laughs> you're using like a was it like a, a dog uh, dog lead or something? Oh, have you seen? I mean, I, I I had a quick look through the the comments. I mean, it's obviously hard to to kind of follow it, but there was all these people that were like, "This is a really cool video," until he threw the bottle back in the ocean. <laughs> like it's so reckless, and I was just thinking. Do you, do you not see that it's attached to a dog leash? <laughs> like a bright yellow fluorescent dog leash? <laughs> oh. That's why you can't listen to comments online, right? Like it just, yeah, you, you can't win. You, you can't win. I mean, the internet's the internet. But, uh, <laughs> it's certainly a source of it, like entertainment. And, you know, like like you said, I think I think there'll be some good outcomes from that. There's a larger platform and audience out there to share these messages to and and yeah, hopefully continue to to promote the sport and and the, the paths that are available to to everyone out there. Mm. Love it, mate. Well, congratulations again. And uh, when I do eventually get back to to Perth, I'd love to to catch up and uh, and meet in person, not just not just online. And uh, yeah, mate, I appreciate you being on the on the podcast. And it's it's a huge thing that you've you've done. So I'm I'm amazed that you've been able to get through it, mate. Congratulations, <laughs> mate. Again, thank you for for having me on here, Brendan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.